you want to give love to the city, that's a fact. But you're going to need help if you want to make an impact. Well endowed, you want to be well endowed with the Edmonton community. Things really happen when you find that you're well endowed. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Well Endowed Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Bonkink. And I'm Andrew Paul. This podcast is brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation, and we're a proud affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Edmonton is full of generous donors who've created endowment funds at ECF. These funds generate money to support charities in Edmonton and beyond. On this podcast, we share stories from spaces where endowments and community intersect, because it's good to be well endowed. We'd like to start off by thanking everyone who voted in Edmonton Community Foundation's April Fool's Meme Challenge. We're pleased to announce that Wild North and Nature Alberta took home this year's awards, which were two grants of $1,000 each. We had a lot of great entries this year, and if you'd like to check out this year's memes, you can do so on the Edmonton Community Foundation's Facebook page. Edmonton's Highlands neighborhood is a mostly quiet, historic little place. But once upon a time, it was a home to a boy who grew up to make big waves in how we think about media and communication. That boy was Marshall McLuhan. You know, when I was young and, and aspiring communications major, I first learned about Marshall McLuhan, and I've always known him to be the father of modern communications and the person who coined the phrase, the medium is the message. I'm looking forward to hearing what our correspondent Chris Chang Yen Phillips found out about his visit to the Marshall McLuhan house. So Chris went to find out how this historic house slash museum tries to keep up with a thinker who's always been pushing into the future. It's really cute when someone comes from Colombia or uh, Bulgaria or wherever, like visiting a university here, knocks on the door and says, Hi, I teach McLuhan. Can I come in? <laughs> Hi, my name is Chelsea Bose, and I'm the manager of McLuhan House. Uh, McLuhan House is a community space for interpreting and honoring the legacy of Marshall McLuhan. Who you may know as a communications theorist, or you may just know some of the things he said, like, the medium is the message. That's Marshall McLuhan. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard about this place called as a, a mini museum, but it doesn't... Um, it doesn't feel like an artifact-focused space. Right. Yeah, we um, we have an artist a studio residency program, and a speaker series, and a book club, and we've had speakers come and talk about the telegraph, uh, radio, social media. Spider Mabel is coming up. Spider Mabel. This picture is like a glimpse into what it was like um, when it was just a home for Marshall McLuhan and his family. Yeah, this is their family vehicle. He was born in 1911, so it would be very early. I think he's sitting in the back seat with his uncle and aunt. A baby with a, like a big sun hat on in an old-timey car with an open top that kind of almost looks like a horse and carriage like that's the style exactly. of car yeah oh it's got those little um 
kerosene lamps. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and her outfit. I love that she's driving. This is his mother, Elsie McLuhan. Uh, they moved here in 1911 to... Uh, get out of the farm life, I guess. They wanted um, to make a name for themselves in the city. Um, Elsie was a teacher, and Herb was a real estate dealer. Right before real estate uh, kind of went belly up, and they moved here. <laughs> I feel often very jealous of McLuhan because he packaged his ideas so well in such catchy ways, and so many of them still stick with us. Mm-hmm. And like some. A lot of them seem to have completely transcended any like connection to his name anymore. Like mm-hmm. um, the idea of the global village is something that it just seems like totally have outgrown his reputation. Yeah, I know. Uh, sometimes I'll find it and I'll say, see, like no reference to McLuhan at all. <laughs> Interesting. Um, but I'm sure he borrowed it from someone else as well. Like he was a very collaborative worker so we're looking at a shelf of his books uh, above the fireplace in the living room here or dining room or what is this room parlor parlor <laughs> maybe yeah it's i find it really ironic that his choice of medium was the book primarily he wrote like 25 publications um but they're of varying types. So some of them are very design heavy, very visual and non-linear. And then some of them are straight up texts with indexes and they're very conventional. Is it surprising to you that he picked this instead of like doing a nightly TV show? Yeah, which he probably also did. I mean, he was on TV a lot. yeah. Interesting that he committed to this like yeah. old-timey linear medium. Yeah, I think he saw value in the experience of reading a book. So we've been looking at these framed photographs of Marshall McLuhan when he was tiny, when he was a little toddler. Um, I feel like so much of McLuhan's reputation, although I don't consider myself an expert in his work at all, um, I feel like a lot of his reputation is about sort of... Um, media without a physical presence and how much our lives are being changed by ourselves being transmitted across the world without having like a physical incarnation as our ideas get transmitted. Um, but here we are in like a physical space with some like old school media <laughs> dedicated to his life, mm-hmm. like a little library of, of printed books and mm-hmm. photographs and stuff. Like how can a space like this speak to our time? How is, it, how is this place not an anachronism? Mm-hmm. I, do, I think it's a bit of a paradox. Uh, something I read early on, because I didn't know anything about McLuhan when I started working here three and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. I came across um, his seminars in, in Toronto. Um, I think called them Monday Night Seminars. And they would just kind of have a open forum about whatever was 
on their minds. It's him and a lot of grad students and some undergrad students. And he said humans are formed in uh, dialogue. So he was always very conscious that we need to have in-person experiences to have these critical conversations. And so that's, I think, what's important about having a space like this, um, to be able to learn from each other and bounce ideas off each other and, and mobilize all the knowledges that are out there. That was Chris Chang Yen Phillips speaking with the Marshall McLuhan House manager, Chelsea Bowes. Thanks to Chris for bringing us that story. Before we get into the next piece, we're going to just take a moment here to let you know about some upcoming grant deadlines. That's right. We're trying to give away money. We've got four grant applications that are due on May 15th. We'll give you a quick list here and have more detail available on our website. First up is our Young Edmonton grants. These grants range from $500 to $3,000 and are for projects that are initiated, led, and organized by Edmonton and area youth. Next are the ECF awards and bursaries for students experiencing financial need. These awards range from $2,000 to $5,000. Then we have the Alexandra M. Munn Scholarships and the John and Andrea Wallen Awards. These awards are for Edmonton area students ages 11 to 15 who demonstrate outstanding talent in classical music. The size of these awards will vary. And last are the Edmonton Refugee and Emerging Communities Awards. These awards range from $1,000 to $2,000, and they are to enhance the quality of life for refugees and members of emerging communities living in Greater Edmonton by supporting education. If any of these grants piqued your interest, be sure to check out our show notes for links to more information about the application requirements. And now, let's get back to the show. Hey, did you know that April is Parkinson's Awareness Month? I sure do. Uh, World Parkinson's Day was actually on April 11th, but this whole month is dedicated to raising awareness about the disease. There's still no cure, so individuals with Parkinson's and their caregivers must manage their symptoms in an ongoing attempt to balance and maintain their quality of life. I have a very dear friend with Parkinson's, and as many listeners out there have likely experienced, this kind of care requires many resources, including a team of medical professionals. So finding these resources while adjusting to a diagnosis can be a real challenge. So to help learn more about the impact that Parkinson's disease can have and what it's like to navigate the care network here in Edmonton and Alberta, we met up with Brandy Labonte, the Communications and Marketing Coordinator at Parkinson's Association of Alberta. And she introduced us to Raja and Shiv, who shared how they are managing their lives after Shiv's diagnosis. Here's Caitlin Crawshaw, our new correspondent, and her conversation with Brandy, Raja, and Shiv. So to start off with, um, Brandy, I was wondering if you could give our listeners a quick overview of uh, about what the association does for folks with Parkinson's in the community. For sure. So Parkinson Association of Alberta is a living well with Parkinson's organization. So for the past 40 years, uh, we've been part of the fabric of Alberta, helping people who are living with and affected by Parkinson's disease and Parkinson plus syndromes live well with the diagnosis. That's an array of things from our, our core services, which include things like support groups and one-on-one and family supportive counseling, um, to education opportunities, uh, hope conference that we do, as well as physical, social, and vocal type programming to help people uh, live well as, as well. Okay, excellent. Um, could you tell us a little bit about um, the difference between Parkinson's and Parkinson's plus conditions? Sure. So... Typically, um, there's a, a larger Parkinson umbrella. So it's called the Parkinsonism umbrella, and it covers both the idiopathic Parkinson disease, which is the Parkinson disease kind of everybody knows or is everybody's a little bit more familiar with. Um, that 
that aspect of the disease happens when a portion of your brain slowly, not overnight, but slowly kind of stops producing the dopamine that is necessary to move. So if you think of anything in your body that's a muscle, anything that moves, it requires dopamine to move. So with Parkinson's disease, for reasons we're not quite sure yet, uh, that dopamine just starts to not produce as much as it used to do. So, and that translates into slower movement or a tremor or rigidity. Those are kind of the, the motor symptoms of Parkinson's disease that a lot of people can be familiar with. There's a host of non-motor symptoms uh, that do come with uh, Parkinson's disease as well. Think of an iceberg. So what you see is only part of it. Uh, oftentimes our clients will actually say the non-motor symptoms are a little bit more difficult. So things like anxiety and apathy and depression, sleep issues, uh, swallowing issues, all those kinds of things also make up Parkinson's disease proper. Parkinson plus syndromes uh, go a little bit further. They're an atypical Parkinsonism. Um, so what that means is it, it starts off typically looking like a Parkinson disease. And again, for reasons science just hasn't caught up to yet, we're not sure why it turns into a Parkinson plus syndrome. So the medications can work a bit, uh, not as well as if it were uh, Parkinson disease. Okay. Um, and Shiv, you have PSP. Yeah, which is progressive okay. nuclear palsy. It's oh, okay. uh, that's what it stands for. Yeah, that's what it stands for. And I think the progression started because the balance is off, and I'm I'm used to climbing stairs, and I can walk as well. I'm using yeah. the walker now. Yeah. When were you diagnosed? I was diagnosed a year ago. Oh wow! Two years ago. Yeah. A year ago. It's coming up to a year now. January 2018 yeah. was the diagnosis, but you've had the condition, I suspect, for much longer. Much longer, I think. I think uh, we mm -hmm. became aware that something was amiss back in September 2016, at least, my son and I. Two years, I think. Two years ago, and they then noticed. When I, I didn't notice anything. So I had put on weight and... This is, this is really, uh, seems like I'm really thin now compared to what I used to be. I think we're talking about an individual who used to run along the river valley and then do the stairs. Wow, and then did yeah. yoga, so it was extremely are. fit and uh, very active. Yeah. But it became evident uh, back in 2016 that uh, she psychologically she wasn't the same person and uh, she was also suffering from anxiety. Uh, when I retired, started staying at home, I became even more alarmed with what I saw and I asked a family doctor to look at her and we were referred to a neurologist and this was in January uh, of 2018 and we were very lucky in that we got an accurate diagnosis very quickly because these diseases, the Parkinsonian plus syndromes, are extremely difficult to uh, diagnose. Mm -hmm. But we got an accurate uh, diagnosis, and that was confirmed later on by another uh, doctor. Mm -hmm. And the reason why we say we are lucky, even though receiving this news uh, was not an easy one to take in, because it is like having uh, the rug literally sort of pulled off under your feet and you drop into a black hole uh, because most people don't know what this disease is. 
So the thing about a Parkinson diagnosis too, taking away the, the Parkinson plus one, there is no MRI, there is no blood work, there is no X-ray, there's nothing like that that will help um, a neurologist determine definitively Parkinson disease. So typically what happens is you're given levodopa, which is a replacement dopamine, and if it works to alleviate the symptoms, you have Parkinson's disease. So a movement disorders neurologist, of which we have the uh, Parkinson and movement disorders program here in Edmonton, and then there's another one in Calgary, um, those movement disorders neurologists can tell a little more by, by looking at a person, the way they walk, uh, the way an arm swings. But at the end of the day, if the drug works, that's the diagnosis. So it can take a long, long time for folks to get... Absolutely. To find out what's happening. And then to figure out a Parkinson Plus diagnosis can take even longer because it's it can be a process of elimination. And there's a few different Parkinson Plus syndromes as well. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So your lives have changed a lot. They've changed a lot. And after the diagnosis. Yeah. Um, what was it like trying to find help, trying to find resources in the community? Well, uh, it was very difficult. It was initially very difficult. Um, and I think... Uh, I think the exercise helped. I think talking to the yeah. neurologist, uh, uh, you know, mm. we uh, certainly got a little bit of help. And, of course, I had to go online, you know, and, and I talked to people who were, in fact, suffering from Parkinson's that I do know. And, uh, you know, th mm. and then I got those threads, those leads, and uh, started to pull together... Uh, not a, I can't really call it a plan initially, but it was you know to try to f find out more information, talk to people, and then and then pull together some sort of a plan. How did you find the um, Parkin Parkinson's Association? Well, um, I th it was really through the folks at the Glenrose um, mm -hmm. because um, the question always in the back of my mind was, okay, we're here at the Glenrose now. What happens afterwards? So you know with with this kind of a neurological disorder, you always have to think one or two steps ahead. That's the first thing that you have to think. So you have to be navigating constantly in terms of where you're going to be. The second thing you need to recognize is that the condition today is not going to be the condition six months down the road. Mm -hmm. And you have to reevaluate that condition. And you may, in fact, go back in a loop and uh, for instance, uh, the CRISP program, I've told them we're here now, but we may be back again here in a year's time for a diff slightly different type of a program. So you have to continually keep recycling, keep thinking about where you're going and exploring. Um, it's a good thing that I have reasonably good uh, research skills and I can ask people a lot of questions. My worry is for those folks who've got low literacy levels, uh, and uh, perhaps, uh, you know, don't have access to a computer or don't know what questions to ask, uh, have mobility pro uh, problems, and I don't mean just physical mobility, but getting around. I, I, I think that has really exposed my, I opened up my eyes how difficult it must be for them to navigate the system. And the other thing about the system is that uh, it is, what I think at the uh, Parkinson's Association is trying to provide a holistic, uh, one-stop shop um, type of uh, services and programs for people with Parkinson's and Parkinson's Plus. 
and as is the CRIS program as well, but the overall health um, system is, in my opinion, still uh, in silos, and uh, there's a lot of acronym usage, <laughs> and it becomes very difficult uh, for the uh, civilian, in a sense, to navigate through that. It's not like Tarzan going from one uh, liana to the other going, ah, and you're just hoping you don't hit a tree and go splat. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I understand that the Parkinson's Association has a relatively new program to help with that called the Navigation Program. Yes. Um, can you Perfect. tell us a little bit about that, Brandy? I can. This, uh, this project came about actually with help um, and support from the Edmonton Community Foundation grant. Um, and it is it is designed to start taking a look at exactly what uh, Raja is saying, which is we deal with a lot of people with Parkinson disease. Statistically, there are over 10,000 people in Alberta who have Parkinson disease, and that's just the people with the diagnosis. There are tens of thousands more uh, people like Raja, their families, their loved ones, their care partners who are also dealing with a Parkinson diagnosis. Those numbers are set to double as the population ages, so by 2030, we are looking at uh, a whole lot more. So how do you get those people in a province uh, as big as ours, um, even in, in a city as complicated as ours, in terms of how do you find the help you need? It's exactly like you said. Not everybody knows what questions to ask. Not everybody knows what opportunities are available for them. Some people qualify for certain things while others won't. Some people will know something exists while others don't. Um, and how do you get to those things? So it's not just a mobility issue sometimes, though that absolutely plays a role. What if you no longer can drive because of Parkinson's disease? How do you get the help and support you need? So what navigation, what our navigation program is taking a look at is being, uh, like Raja said, kind of the gatekeeper, the, the one-stop shop for all your, your information and your resources and your um, helpful directions in terms of life with Parkinson's disease or Parkinson plus syndrome. So it could be talking about a CRIS program like SHIV attends, which is an excellent no-cost resource uh, that is offered within Edmonton in the greater Edmonton area. It could be talking about DATS. Right? You need to get to a medical appointment. It could be going further saying, okay, we know we want to stay in our home for as long as possible safely, absolutely safely. So how do we go about doing that? Okay, well, let's talk about a ramp program. Let's talk about a disability tax credit. Let's talk about all these kinds of things and see what option is going to be the best. Because at the end of the day, there's no one right answer for everybody. It really depends on, on your lifestyle, on, on what you choose um, as a life. Life is to be lived. And that means very different things to very different people. So we'll sit down uh, with, with clients and say, okay, these are, what do you want? What's your, what's your ultimate goal? We want to stay at home longer. We want to be healthy. We want to, you know, find an exercise program. And we'll say, okay, here are what the options are. Now let's talk about what's going to work. And then let's also talk about some of those things that can be a little more difficult. Bringing in home care or talking about transitioning out of, you know, maybe the, the big old four-bedroom, two-story home in the suburbs into maybe residential, or at some point, long-term care. So it's having some of those conversations before they become a necessity so that there's still an opportunity for independence. I think the uh, the, the navigation uh, program that you're talking about, I think is of critical importance. 
One of the things that I'm hoping that it will uncover is policy gaps um, and uh, bring about greater uh, cohesion between policies and programs and services that are being provided. Uh, just as an example, um, in Shiv's case, uh, when we looked at all the housing, what she needs is not necessarily uh, assisted or supportive living. What she really needs is supervision. Yeah, I need supervision. And so that was really critical I mean. in That's helping us determine what our next steps are going to be when we leave our home and go rent a place. I'm going to have to get someone over time to give me some help. To supervise. To, so that you know they could supervise Shiv well, um, having a, a, a bath, for example. Mm -hmm. Alberta Health Services only provides a bathing um, sort of support once a week and in some instances twice a week. So I'll have to now find other forms of care to private care, uh, private care to, to supplement that. it. So um, even when you look at the private uh, care side of it and you look at the uh, income thresholds, um, I think they need to be looked at uh, and, and re-examined and I think they need to be brought together, uh, these policies, programs and practices, which I think the navigation is going to uncover from conversations with your stakeholders. Mm -hmm. Sounds like there's an awful lot to try to keep track of and plan for. There is. And anticipate. Mm -hmm. um, that sounds difficult to have to be looking forward constantly and making all of these plans. And the progression is really idiosyncratic. It varies from individual to individual, and the rate There'll of be good progression days varies. Bad days. There are good days, bad days. Mm -hmm. uh, and so your life essentially goes into a bit of a limbo because you're really for the first time in your life, you're unable to definitively plan and say, in X number of months we'll be here doing this, we're going to be doing that. All of that goes out, and you have to be really nimble in your way of how you navigate through. And coming as it does when people are aging, nimbleness is not the first characteristic that comes to mind. <laughs> well, what's that like for you, Raja? Um, as as a caregiver having to you know do a lot of this planning and anticipating there's there's a lot of uh, there's many dimensions to it there's the planning uh, side of it and basically it's like really having a job you have to keep notes you have to uh, have a to-do list and you're working and talking to people you're communicating either on the phone or you're sending off uh, emails uh, or you're uh, looking at large amounts of information on, say, for example, on housing, uh, you know, planning visits and, uh, and then keeping track of um, all the medications, making sure you keep all the receipts. It's like really like running an office, that side of it. Yeah. yeah. So the, the, the plans that we had um, for our lives <clears throat> have all uh, been totally upended. So one piece of advice I always give to young people, if there's a trip you want to take, take it now. do it now while you've got your health. Don't worry about the money. Because if you, uh, unlike other people, we did travel and do a lot of things. But if we had waited and said, let's do it after we retire, it wouldn't be happening. Yeah, that'd be heartbreaking. It would be really heartbreaking. So live now. Live yeah. for the moment because you never know what your life's going to be like. What do you do for yourself? Like, have you sought out uh, resources um, in the community for yourself as well? I haven't. Uh, I've uh, been in conversations on respite, 
what I'm hoping you though is, to get out and have is that when I take her away for programs, um, then it gives me a little bit of respite. Like if she's gone away for a couple hours, I drop her off, I'll go for a walk or do something. Uh, you can have these day programs with the uh, Lions seniors. I'm going to enroll her there for five hours. That's going to get me respite. Um, I'm hoping uh, maybe last last summer I didn't even get out a single game of golf, to be honest with you. But if I have her in a proper program where she is properly supervised, and I trust the level of supervision that she's getting, maybe I can get in nine holes. Yeah. You know, take my mind off. Um, I find the other thing is I I can manage a lot of reading, and I find that I'm really good at shutting out the world. That's a gift. That's a yeah. gift, yeah. <laughs> reading he does at night. Yeah. yeah. Before he goes to bed. So I said, read a lot to me. I read, I read Why not? books. Why <laughs> nice. so not? He reads a lot to me. That's really lovely. Yeah, that's good. Well, and it's remember, it's one of the things I think we're, we're pretty keen on saying at Parkinson Association. And it, it can be tough uh, to kind of come to that acceptance level is the disease is what you have. It is not who you are. So how do we find those things to keep who you are, right? If you were a, and I'll pick an artist because it, it does come up. Well, I used to paint. Okay, well, who's, who said you had to stop? Well, but I have Parkinson's disease. Okay, question still was, who said you have to stop? It may need to be different. Maybe the breaststrokes aren't as fine, um, but you're still an artist if that's who you are. If you were, you know, a a mom, you're still a mom. If you were a grandparent, you're still a grandparent. The disease is what you have. So how do we give you your sense of self that's, that goes beyond the disease? The disease is, is what is. It is not who you are. The one thing I will point out, though, uh, we used to be very socially active. And we're not as much. I think whenever yeah, we have not these kind of disease, as much. So, social, uh, I, I keep wondering about I social isolation. Oh, yeah. right. It's, it's huge. It's a huge problem because it can lead to those other things too, right? If you start isolating yourself socially, mm -hmm. then the apathy sets in and the anxiety and the depression can set in. Um, you feel less inclined to go out and do those things that you used to do. Um, and it starts a really, it can start a really vicious circle. So how do you mm. find things to do and how do you, how do you hang on to that sense of it's a vicious circle. Yeah. How do you hang on As to that? As I said, uh, no win situation, right? You want to exercise, but it's good for you. But at the same time, you're tired and sleepy, so why exercise? So it becomes like a vicious circle. Mm -hmm. So encouraging, encouraging people to find that routine, whatever that routine is. You know, it, maybe it's not a long walk in the river valley anymore. Maybe it's a short one. Um, maybe it's not um, hosting big parties, but but smaller ones, just to kind of keep that, or that getting sense people of to bring food. Exactly. Yeah, asking them, which I never did. Yeah. Now I ask them, let's bring bring whatever you want. They ask me, should we bring something? And I say, yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> that is hard to ask. For, yeah, it's yeah. hard to ask, yeah. but you tell them. I tell our friends yeah. now. I say, if you don't hear from us, that doesn't mean we're ticked off with you phone us yeah, because I'm, I'm really uh, you know quite busy and I may have overlooked it but just give us a call yeah that's the other thing mm -hmm. call us 
Well, it can be hard, right? There's a lot. Social is, is, a, is a really good example. You know, we've got uh, people who used to love eating out was their thing, mm-hmm. right? Wanted to go to mm. the restaurant. And now there's, there's that level of insecurity, um, maybe that, okay, well, are people going to stare? Because maybe, you know, my water spills a little bit if I'm trying to my get a drink. food spills. Food spills, I can't maybe cut my food or some, how, what are people going to think? What are people going to say? So that's one of the reasons why, whether it's Parkinson Awareness Month or what we do on a daily basis, which is talking about Parkinson disease and kind of trying to remove that stigma so that people can go out there. Once you understand and you know, most people are truly, you know, compassionate, lovely human beings. Um, but it, it can be tough to worry, you know, that somebody, you're like, oh, you know, don't want to sit by that person or what's taking so long at the checkout line. Mm-hmm. You know, handling money or getting the money out can be something that's a little difficult with people with Parkinson's disease or you have that moment where you've just kind of forgotten what you're doing because of the executive function and things like that that can go wrong. So if you feel stressed, which makes symptoms so much worse, right? Then you're like, okay, well, I I just, I can't do that anymore. I can't do that anymore. And then that isolation starts again in all these smaller aspects of life. And all of a sudden you're living in in a bubble and it's a, it's a lonely bubble and an unnecessary bubble. I could see how on top of everything you're dealing with, adding some self-consciousness onto it would just feel like just too much. I mean, Shiv did go through uh, that period of self-consciousness. She would say, people are avoiding me or people know you what know, I've got. I feel like people and I said, avoiding Shiv, they don't people. even know who you are. Yeah, doctor tell me, they don't even know who you are. But I get up in the morning, they meditate, and I write every day in the book, in the journal. Yes. So that's something I do every day. And exercise and everything. In the house. Yeah, I mean... Uh, so basically the way everything works now is that she does what she can at home and then whatever uh, programs that we can access, we access them and then when there's a downtime, then I'll get uh, uh, private uh, sessions on physiotherapy and as to serve as a bridge and then you just keep uh, rolling and rolling and rolling and uh, uh, try to decrease the risk uh, of her falling uh, because of loss of balances is, is an important thing as part of the PSP, but even in uh, Parkinson's, you've got to reduce uh, people's risks at some point of, of injury. And, yep. and uh, um, so they need supervision all the time or somebody needs to be keeping an eye. You have to be vigilant. Yeah, so we run uh, programs. We've got Circuit, which is uh, a lot of our younger onset, so they're running on the treadmills and they're and they're doing stairs, um, and then we've got um, smaller exercise and power classes, and then we've I've got a sit stand. Uh, we've got and a physiotherapist now who also comes in and does some some private stuff for people, um, and it is tough. Again, it's that entire journey where things things are changing. So you may start here, uh, and you go to a class where now you get to to sit and still do the exercises. So the good news about that is it's still social and it's still a sense of belonging, but it can be tough because Mm -hmm. you don't have the same thing you had or the same abilities or capabilities that you had maybe before. So how do we deal with the emotional aspect of that as well as the physical aspect of that? 
the the other part that uh, uh, makes me think about is uh, Parkinson's or Parkinson plus patients they're very dependent on the caregiver and if something happens to the caregiver their their health then you're really in a lot of trouble because a caregiver is the linchpin. He's driving everything. You know. So what do you do? What do you do? If a caregiver breaks a leg <laughs> and it's become becomes immobile or, or their own diagnosis, yeah. Yeah. Life continues to happen even though Parkinson's disease or Parkinson plus syndrome has become so you know, a heart attack, like mm -hmm. Raja said, or a, a unfortunate cancer diagnosis, or or things like that, can happen. So how do we, how do we as a community, you know, get together and try and support each other? And awareness becomes part of that uh, as well. It's it can be tough to hear uh, after eight and a half years here. One of the things I still hear, still hear, is it's a little bit of shaking. How bad can it be? And you're like, oh, well. Sit down. Let's let's have a, a conversation about how how that can be, um, and it's not the same for everybody. Everybody's story is different. There are threads, absolutely, through the stories that are are similar, but what happens if you're rural? What happens mm -hmm. if you don't have a care partner to begin with, and you're on your own? Even in a city the size of Edmonton, with a lot of amazing resources, what if you're by yourself, and you fall, in your own apartment, in your home, your safe space? If you've got a care partner, what happens if you're rural and maybe the care partner doesn't have access to a license? How do you get to those supports? Because those supports may be an hour or two hours away. The movement disorders programs cover the entire province of Alberta. What happens if you're in Grand Prairie or High Prairie or Sweetgrass? What, what does that look like for you as an individual? So not that, not that at Parkinson Association we can fix all of that right now, but we do toll-free numbers. Um, we have support groups where you can call in instead of physically coming to a group just to try and bridge some of those gaps that exist um, to get people as much help. Um, one of the phrases that we're quite keen on saying all the time is our goal, our ultimate goal is to make sure that nobody has to face Parkinson's disease alone. It's a lofty goal, <laughs> but we certainly try, and it doesn't mean it's just us either. It means that there's amazing families out there and an incredible community resources, and that together, we're gonna we're gonna make this a bit better for everybody. Okay. So speaking of community, how has the Edmonton Community Foundation grant that you received helped with the navigation program? So for us at Parkinson Association of Alberta, navigation was always something we knew we wanted to do, and we were doing it in in bits and pieces as people would come to us and say, you know. Can I get a tax credit? And we would kind of look up that information or we would take a look at community resources. But we never really had the, the funding, um, the human or the financial capital to really sit down and, and focus on a project that would really mean a lot and have the greatest impact on a lot of people, uh, especially as the people that we have already are progressing through Parkinson's disease. Plus, we're welcoming new people in Edmonton. I think our average is about 30 new clients a month. Um, so when you look at that, and, and the people are at all different stages, to have that solid set of a navigation program to start, and it's a, it's a big project. Um, there's a lot of support out there, which is fantastic, but not everybody knows all about it. So gathering those pieces and putting it together to help the people 
individually, because that really comes back to that key that we talked about a little earlier, which is what Raja and Shiv need may be totally different from what, you know, another couple needs or another individual needs. So to be able to have access to those supports and those resources so we can help on an individual basis, those, you know, families and those individuals navigate their disease and the system to the best uh, outcome for everybody is is truly what this, this grant has done for us. Well, yeah. Thank you all for being here today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Caitlin. Thanks for having us over. Yeah, thank Thanks you for, for thank you. all the information you gave us. A very sincere thanks to Raja and Shiv for sharing their experience with us and also to Brandy Labonte at Parkinson's Association of Alberta for helping us better understand what caring for people with Parkinson's disease can look like. As always, we will have the links to more information in our show notes. All right. Well, listeners, that brings us to the end of the show. Thanks so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it. And hey, if you have an extra minute, please share this episode with your friends and leave us a review on iTunes. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook. Thanks for hanging out with us. We've been your hosts, Andrew Paul. And Elizabeth Bonkink. Until Until next next time. time. The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation. And is an affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. The show is edited by Lisa Pruden. You can visit our website at thewellendowedpodcast.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And follow us on Twitter at the ECF. Our theme music is by Octavo Productions. And as always, don't forget to visit Edmonton Community Foundation at ecfoundation.org. Well Endowed.